And joining us now here on the Stripe Show podcast, four-time PGA Tour winner, and now three-time Corn Ferry Tour winner after last week, the King and Bear Classic right down the road from me, about five miles. Chris Kirk, Chris, that golf course is not that easy. What in the world does it feel like to shoot 26 under par? Goodness gracious. Hey, Travis. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting to see how just how low the scores got. Um, I think it was a combination of uh, you know, a relatively forgiving golf course, but then we had little to no wind all week. Uh, the greens were just absolutely perfect you know running 11 rolling really pure so it was great great holding speed for putts and um you know they also were the fairways were running out a little bit so the course didn't play that long and then uh the greens were receptive just to the point where your iron shots were going to stop but not not too soft where you had to worry about wedges spinning back a whole lot it was just you know with with no wind it was just kind of target practice out there yeah. Take me take me back to last week. Um, you were up at Hilton Head. You were the first alternate. You were you played down at the Schwab and mm-hmm. you made the decision to to come down to St. Augustine and play in the Corn Ferry Tour. What what drove that? Um, well, it was actually an easier decision than than it appears. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't actually the first alternate, even though it said that on the field sheet. Um, the the field at Hilton Head was supposed to be a 144 field, but they had more more exempt players than that, so they played beyond that. Um, I think the final number ended up being 150 or 151. Uh, so by the tour regulations, the field size would have had, had to have gotten below 144 for any alternates to get in. So even though it said on the field sheet I was first alternate, uh, really was effectively more like seventh or so. Okay. Um, so yeah, that, that made it an easier decision. Um, it was kind of funny cause I kept, you know, a few guys had withdrew, withdrew a few, uh, early in the week. And so I kept getting text messages like, Oh, you're, you're in now. And like, ah, oh, not really. And, and, uh, you know, Cameron Tringali even texted me directly, I guess his wife, uh, they just had a baby. Um, mm. and so he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm withdrawing, you know, go play well. And I was just like, Thanks, man. Uh, but yeah, so I, I had to explain that a number of times, even to people at the at the Corn Ferry event. We're like, "What are you doing here? You're first alternate up in Hilton Head." Um, so you know, I don't know what a, what I would have done if I had been if I had actually been first alternate in Hilton Head. I would have made it a, a difficult decision, but thankfully, um, it was it was an easy one, and I, I was excited to go play a a Corn Ferry event. Anyways, you know, I've yeah, I've. Uh, felt like my game's been in a pretty good place, but have, have been just kind of looking for a little bit of a spark to kind of try to give me some confidence. So I think playing a corn fairy event was a, was a good idea for me, obviously. Yeah. It's funny how things work, right? I was, le- I was reading your, your scripts after you played at the Schwab where you finished T60 mm-hmm. and you, you said that you, you didn't feel as confident um, in your game when you were out there. And then of course this happens, you go down to the corn fairy tour you shoot, you win. I mean, do you feel like that's kind of helped you now? Maybe recapture some confidence. Clearly, um, your skill set is 
is still good enough to be out there and, and competing and playing at the PGA Tour level. But it was interesting to hear you say as you've come back from your six-month hiatus, which we'll get to here momentarily, that you just didn't feel like the same player. You lost your confidence. How do you feel now? Uh, yeah, that that remains to be seen. I mean, I, th- yeah. I think it shows you just what a what a fine line it is um, in professional golf between you know doing really really well and and being kind of middle of the road. Um, yeah, I, uh, it it was interesting coming back to a lot of these events. Um, yeah, I, th- I I believe that my game was good enough, but I think it was more until I until I did it until I proved it again um after my taking my break it was it was tough to really to really believe in it you know it's kind of the old the chicken and the egg i guess conversation of you know where you have to have success to be confident you have to be confident to have success um so uh, i'm hoping this past week really shows me even though I, i knew it already but this really shows me firsthand that yeah if you go if you go play well, you can compete with anybody. That's right. Yeah. You know, I saw you on the golf channel, um, earlier in the week talking about your journey back, which I mentioned, um, you took a six month hiatus, um, from your professional golf career to work on yourself. And for my audience who, who didn't see it, didn't know, you know, Chris was struggling from, uh, depression and, and alcohol abuse. And you, uh, you've opened up, with that, which, um, as I sat there and I watched it, um, you know, I found very, um, refreshing and, and, and motivating, um, you know, Chris, take us back to that moment, you know, when you realized that, you know, things were spiraling. And I think quote, um, you said your life was a bit out of control. Take us back to that mm-hmm. moment when, when you decided to, to reach out for help. Uh, yeah, sure. So my, my sobriety day is April 29th, 2019. Um, but obviously as with anybody in in that situation, it goes back further than that. Um, I think I've, I've always been someone who has really liked to drink and, you know, in, in college and, and throughout my adult years. But I think that for, for a lot of years, it was like anybody else, you know, more social and just having a good time with your friends and, and that type of thing. Uh, but, it, you know, probably somewhere around 2017-ish, I guess, you know, there's not a, there's not a clear, clear date where, mm-hmm. where everything started, but it's, you know, kind of slowly builds on itself. Started to get to the point where um, I was using it as an escape. Um, instead of just a, a means of having fun with friends. And then I, I started to get to the point where I would drink by myself more often and with more regularity and just, you know, like I said, using it to to try to quiet down some of uh, my anxiety more than anything. You know, I think that I've had uh, bouts of of depression when things aren't, aren't going well, but I, I think anxiety was probably more of my root issue mm-hmm. where I just got to where I just didn't like where, where things were going. I was worried that I, that I wasn't good enough to compete anymore. I was worried about all the time that I was spending away from home, away from my, my family, my wife and three kids that weren't, weren't traveling a whole lot anymore. And, uh, it just, 
got to the point where I, I started to have these kind of, and anyone who has anxiety can, can relate to this. It's, you turn one, you have one thought that may be a very reasonable thought of something that you, that you worry about. And then that turns into something else and that turns into something else and that turns into something else. It's sort of this snowball effect. And by the end of it, you, you have these thoughts where, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I, I need to sell my house. Like I need to, I can't, I can't be living this, this lifestyle. This is ridiculous. I don't deserve any of this. I don't, you know, and where if you look at that, just that one thought or that one feeling, it doesn't make any sense, but it's got, it's been a slow progression to get there. And that feels just as real as, as looking outside and seeing whether it's sunny or cloudy. If it's, it's very real in your, in your own mind. And so I think that alcohol became my way of, of, of dealing with that, of just getting, you know, I, I remember really distinctly, I, the thing that I enjoyed about it is I liked that I could, I could just drink to the point where I could just sit there and just stare at the wall or watch TV or whatever, and just not really even have to think about anything. And that was, that was where I liked to get. And so I was, you know, I was using it as a, as a solution to my, my problems with, with anxiety and, and all these irrational thoughts that I was having. And it worked for, for a while. Um, but then eventually it doesn't work. And eventually it starts to, if anything, make those things worse. And so, uh, around, it was in, uh, November, I believe 2018 when I, you know, kind of sat down with my, my family, uh, so a few close friends, some of my support group on the tour. And it was just like, okay, I'm having, I'm having an issue with this. I'm, I'm drinking too much and I'm, and I'm going to stop. And so I just kind of let my, didn't feel the need to make anything public, just kind of didn't feel the need to stop playing or anything like that. Just let my sort of close circle know what was going on. And, and they were very supportful, you know, supporting of me and, and helpful. And, and so I tried to stop. I was just like, I can do this on my own. And, you know, I've, I've accomplished a lot and always been a really headstrong person. I can, I've got this. And, um, after six months or so of, of trying that and, and failing and relapsing multiple times and having these episodes of just, of just such irrational thinking and behavior um it became clear to me that that i didn't have this and uh i can take you back the it's it's a story that i've told a few times of the last time that i that i drank and um it was a you know i've i'd had numerous wake-up calls obviously i knew that i had had a problem with this but this was kind of finally the one that that still sticks in my mind that really was like, okay, you not only do you not have complete control over this, you have zero control over this. Um, where I was in, uh, I was in New Orleans, Sepstrack and I played, uh, the Zero Classic together two man team event. And, uh, we had some weather delays. We finished on, finished the second round on Saturday and missed the cut. And so I had to stay, 
I had to stay in New Orleans. My uh, clothing company that I wear, Task, they're based in New Orleans. And so we were doing a photo shoot the, the following Monday morning. So it had all been, you know, been scheduled and planned out. So I was like, yeah, it's fine. I'll, I'll just stay. And so it was, it was one of those times where, you know, on Saturday night, I was like, okay, this is a, you know, red flag is up. You've got to be, you know, on your, on your game here. You got to make sure that you don't put yourself in any bad situations. You don't do anything stupid, you know? So I just stayed, I stayed in and I, I think I just ordered some room service that night and just relaxed, didn't have anything to drink, you know, was, was doing fine. And then Sunday night, I, uh, I had to, um, I had to be up really early on Monday for the, for the photo shoot. And so I've always been, had a hard time. Like when I had, you know, if, if my alarm was set for five 30 or something like that, I was I, I, like a lot of people had a hard time sleeping when I had to get up so early. So I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll just have, you know, I'll just have one of these little things of, of whiskey out of the, out of the mini bar here. And, uh, that'll just, that'll just help me sleep and calm my nerves and, and I'll be fine. I'll just have that and, and, uh, and I'll go to bed. And the, the crazy thing about this and how it affects you, if, if when I, when I got that drink out, if you hooked me up to a lie detector test and said, Chris, are you going to only have this one drink? I would have said yes. And I would have passed the lie detector test. That was all, I, that was my plan. That was all I was going to do. And, you know, I did, thankfully I didn't, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything, but I woke up at, at about three thirty or four o'clock in the morning, you know, still dressed, was still with all the lights on in my hotel room and the mini bar had just been cleared out. Hmm. You know, I've had 20 plus drinks and just wake up like, what the hell just happened? You know? And, uh, so that was when, and, you know, another sign of, of being an alcoholic, I went back to sleep for a little while, got up at five 30, took a shower, went and did the photo shoot. Nobody would have ever known any different. I felt fine. Um, but obviously, you know, that was like a, you know, a, the wake up call of all wake up calls for me. And so I went, I went home and, and I talked to my wife and, and told her what happened and, you know, obviously this had put a, a pretty tremendous strain on our, our relationship. And so I, I kind of thought in my mind, like, okay, the only way that the only way that you're going to come out of this and save any form of what you want your life to be is just to put everything in your life aside and focus on, on this. So no, no golf, no, no, nothing. You just, I just need to stay home and figure out how to, to get better and how to defeat this. And so that was, that was what I did. It's funny. I've heard, I've heard some quotes from my wife saying that, you know, when I got home, it was more of an announcement than a discussion. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, but I just told her, I was like, this is what I've, this is what I've got to do, you know, and no matter how this affects any other portion of my life no no other portion of my life can work without me doing this first mm -hmm. um so that was uh you know that was a pretty monumental decision for me but it felt like it was it you know it felt like it was a it was a last resort it was all that i had left take me um back to 
the anxiety um, and and even bouts with depression and how this, as I'm understanding, clearly uh, fueled uh, the drinking. And I heard you um, talk a lot about fear um, in your video that you posted on Instagram and some other interviews that you've done. As you as you look back, what were what were some of the the biggest fears that that were kind of driving all this? Yeah, I had, uh, it's, it's crazy how you can see, I can see things so clearly now of how, how messed up my mind was at the time. And I could go from, I could go from thinking that I was the best player in the world and the greatest guy ever to thinking that I need to quit golf. I probably should just I probably should just go off somewhere because my family would be better off without me because I'm such a bad person and a bad influence. And I just need to, to get away. I need to do something different. And I could, those thoughts could change. It could be from one hour to the next. I could go from those two extremes. And uh, so, you know, it, it got to the point where any, any thought or any feeling could, could be there and and you know they all were very very real um all these these fears of fear of 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 hurting myself fear of you know i, I didn't didn't ever really feel like i wanted to but i just was afraid of what i what i was capable of i guess and afraid of where my life was going and afraid of you know thinking that geez, I mean, you're, you're 33 years old or 34 years old. And this, this feels like you, you, uh, are, are done with your career. Like you're about to lose your family, just the, all these thoughts of, of just being really afraid of what was coming next and mm -hmm. trying to, you know, I'd been for a while just so desperately trying to control that control everything. And, and that that only built more more fear of a lack of control. And uh, now it's you know it's it's amazing because you you go through all this process that I've gone through, and you see that none of us have any control over anything. And that's one of the greatest parts about life is mm -hmm. that no, I don't have I don't have control over what's going to happen to me the rest of the day or tomorrow or next week or the next year, but. That's it would suck if you knew, you know, it's it's awesome that that we get to just go, you know, we all go do the best we can and and we get to just see what what life's going to bring us, you know, what God's going to put in our lives. And and uh, that's 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 been, you know, one of the biggest transitions for me is this constant fear of what's coming next to the excitement of the unknown and embracing that. Mm -hmm. Golf is back. That's right. We have a full weekend of golf ahead of us. And even though the trophy is reserved for the winner, the big cash prices don't have to be. To add to the excitement, DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, is putting you in the center of action with the free shot at millions of dollars in prizes with your first deposit. It's easy to play. Just pick six golfers, stay under the salary cap, and submit your lineup before the tournament tees off on Thursday. Then sit back and follow the action. The more red numbers they have on the leaderboard, the closer you'll be to winning some green. Rack up the points for pars, birdies, 
finishing position, and more. In a time of limited sports, this is your chance to scratch your competitive itch and reign supreme. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code Travis during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes. That's code Travis, and you get a free shot. At you know, one of the of reasons that, that I wanted to talk with you um, is to thank you for speaking out on, you know, sharing your story. As I mentioned, watching you on Golf to on Golf Channel, and you know, I myself, you know, too struggle. Um, with the anxiety and probably more so for me on the depression side. Um, and I seek help about, about a year ago now, just over a year. And, and this is frankly the first time I've shared it um, with my audience on the podcast. But after listening to you, my wife was watching me as I was listening to you and she could see the intent and she could see like, you know, that, you know, I was proud of you standing up there and talking about, you know, not just your anxiety and depression, but also your alcohol abuse. But I wanted to reach out and and really use my platform to help, you know, normalize the discussion even more. Right. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's what needs to happen. Um, you know, alcohol abuse, of course, but just also, you know, depression and anxiety. These are real things, um, I think. Mm -hmm. We tend to, as men, um, kind of keep it probably more in. We have it under control, like you were saying with your bout. Um, but for me, speaking for myself, it wasn't until I kind of hit it head on where I was like, I need to focus and help myself first before I can do anything else. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's just speaking for more from the depression side. So, you know, normalizing this discussion, I think, is such a um, is a big step. Yeah, there doesn't really, I don't think there really has to be a stigma attached to it. You know, there, there is obviously, but, um, that's been a, a pretty cool thing for me since I've come back and been around people that I haven't been around for a while. And a lot of times, you know, people just kind of didn't really know what to say to me and, you know, that's, that's understandable, but whenever the, the topic comes up, people immediately see just how comfortable I am with it and unashamed, I guess. And so I, I certainly have not set out on any kind of mission to, to use my platform to try to spread awareness or try to, you know, do, do anything with this. It's purely, you know, I, I'm, it's really cool to see it, see it helping other people and see a lot of the messages that I've gotten from other people, but it's really a, you know, it's sort of a, a selfish thing, I guess you could say, um, for me in that it just, I feel so much better and my recovery is so much better. The more just open and honest I am about mm -hmm. it. And so it's, it's, it's one of those things and I've, I've spoken on this before that I, it was a slow buildup of, you know, more and more things that I was hiding from other people more and more kind of lies that I was telling and more than anything with, you know, like I've talked about all these irrational thoughts and it's amazing the things that you can justify once you get down that road, but of just constantly lying to myself, you know, telling, even after, after in November, when I told my friends and family, hey, I have a problem with this, you know, it'd go for 
I'd go two weeks without, without drinking and be like, ah, you're just, you're making a big deal out of this. You're, you're being ridiculous. You don't actually have a problem with this. You're, you're fine. You got, got control over it. And just all the, all the little lies that you tell yourself that you don't even really realize that you're doing, um, all that is just such a burden, you know, it's such a weight on your, on your shoulders to, mm-hmm. to not only live, live in all those, those lies and deception. And then on top of that, the, the anxiety and the control piece was such a trying to, trying to control everything about yourself and the people around you and the results of your career and how each day was going to go. It just was, it's just a lot to carry, you know? And, um, so that's the, I think that's why I've, I've been so open about it and why I'm so comfortable talking about it is because that, that burden has been lifted from me where I don't, I don't have to go through my life every day trying to organize all these little pieces every which way that I want to and trying to hide things from, from people and, and lying, go about lying to myself and, and all this kind of thing. And so that, um, that's kind of why I've, I've gotten to the, to where I am now. And I'm so open with, with my situation and my, my recovery and the process that I'm, that I'm doing now. And, and, uh, just cause it, it feels good. It feels, yeah. it's been one of the most rewarding things about this. It's just, you know, going through every day and, and feeling like I've got nothing to hide. You know, for those that are listening and have experienced this, um, the things that, that you're talking about, um, you know, Chris, you have to have that support system. Um, you know, these are the, the people that, are pointing out these um, different traits and things that are happening to you to help you get to the point that you are. Talk about your family um, and the support system that you have and and what they've meant to you during this process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, my wife obviously is, is uh, number one for me, for sure. She's been always been someone that I've been able to confide in and really, you know, trust absolutely. And uh, I think that as my as my problems got worse, some of that kind of went away, and to the point where she she could see that there was there was an issue. She she didn't really see I was good. I was pretty good at even hiding the my quantities of drinking from her. Um, but she could see that there was I was having having problems, not just with, with drinking, but just with, you know, the rational thoughts and anxiety and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's a, it's a difficult thing to talk to, talk about, you know, and whenever she would say any, anything, you know, along those lines, I would get really defensive and, uh, you know, withdraw. And, and so it, it kind of became a thing that really was a, something that, that divided us for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was hu- obviously very, very beneficial to our relationship now that things are are out on the table and and there's nothing nothing there between us anymore but then my you know obviously my parents have been an incredible support system for me of just you know giving providing the love and support that i've needed through all this and uh you know all the the people around me you know i i 
my agent Jeremy Elliott is a is a really close friend first, um, and he has been hugely beneficial in in uh, guiding me through all this process and helping me to kind of sort out some some of the different thoughts that I've had and and be a sounding board. Um, I've worked with uh, Greg Carton uh, with sports psychology for a number of years, but um, he his role transitioned greatly um, when I stopped playing. We would talk a couple times a week, and we went for months and months where you know never even mentioned golf. He just kind of basically switched from a sports psychologist to a psychologist therapist and um was was incredible in that role and uh we're still we're still very close still talk regularly um and now it's kind of a little bit of both of you know some of my life stuff and and golf stuff as well uh but i that that is still kind of amazing to me how good of a job he did in immediately just kind of flipping a switch in that that role where i golf doesn't matter but I'm still here for you and, you know, we can, we can work on, on these types of things. And obviously he has a, you know, a, a psychology background and, and spent some time in college. Uh, and, and after that working, um, with addiction, uh, specifically. So he has, has a good background in that and, uh, was a great person for me to talk to about all sorts of things and still is. And, um, uh, yeah. So, and the, and the, I, I would even go to, uh, to my teacher, Scott Hamilton, who I've mm-hmm. been very close with for a number of years and is just truly one of those people that I know has got my back and my best, best interest in mind, no matter what. And so I'm, I've been very lucky and I'm very thankful to have, have a number of people like that. You know, I just listed three people that work for me, but I don't think that I really see it that way. And I don't think they see it that way either. Um, Mm -hmm. where it's a, it's a really true deep relationship where we really care about each other. And, uh, yes, yes, we have business side of our relationship too, but that's not really what it's all about. So I, I know that that's not really the norm. Um, and so I'm, I'm really, really thankful that to have relationships like that in my, in my life that I can really depend on. I just want to interrupt this interview real quick and give a shout out to my friends over at Encore Golf. Encore provides some of the most cutting edge technology in a golf ball that I have ever seen. Their team in Buffalo, New York is changing the script of golf technology through their perimeter weighted designs which offer players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course. With their award winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, they are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show. As you as you look ahead now, um, you're not playing this week. Um, of course, the, the PGA Tour up in um, Connecticut at the uh, Travelers. Mm-hmm. You're, you are in the field um, next week at the Rocket mortgage classic in uh detroit as you um as you look at you know life on the road um coming up playing as a professional golfer and 
everything that you've been through and, and um, the way that you're living your life now, how, how, what does the new normal look like for Chris Kirk now as you get back out there mm-hmm. versus, you know, what you were doing in the past? Yeah, there's uh, two two big differences. Um, mm-hmm. One is just really staying connected with my support group of people here in Athens that um, you know are, are walking a similar path to me. Uh, some close friends and some people I've I've met more recently um, that have been hugely beneficial to my sobriety. So staying staying connected with them, and then I. Um, even though I, I am in a, a very good place now in my, in my recovery and feel really good about it. I, uh, I still also, also realize that, you know, there's no time to, to rest on your laurels. So I, I try to stay, stay diligent with all that, but also try to, um, and I, I don't think I've really but maybe for a night or two, but I don't, I don't really stay by myself anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily because I'm worried about doing anything, but I just it just keeps me in a so much better headspace when I have some some friends and and people that I that I care about and want to spend time with uh, with me. It just makes me a happier person. Um, I just have I've never really been someone who's really enjoyed alone time, and when I have had alone time, that's you know all my recent memories of of alone time of the past few years are not good ones. Um, so it's just better for me to, to stay with other people. You know, the last two weeks at the King of Beer in St. Augustine and at the Charles Schwab and Colonial, I had, um, a really close friend of mine that lives down the road here, Michael Cromie. He played golf at Georgia, was playing many tours and, um, he took a break from playing for a couple of weeks and said he would come caddy for me and stay with me. And so we had, we had a great couple of weeks. It was, it was a lot of fun. And then, uh, starting, Next week, uh, Sepp Stracker's brother, Sam, uh, is going to start caddying for me. And uh, so Sepp and Sam and I, are the three of us, are, are really close. And uh, so we'll uh, Sam will stay with me, and we'll, we'll all be able to kind of hang out and go out to dinner and, and all that, that kind of thing. Um, so that's, uh, that's a big, big thing for me is just staying in that much better headspace of, of being around people that, that I care about and that I know mm-hmm. care about me, not, not as a golfer, but as a, as a friend and a person. Yeah. And I felt like this podcast, you know, a lot of the things that you just said there resonate because, you know, obviously with this COVID-19 pandemic, you know, everybody has been, you know, locked in and spending so much time by themselves, by themselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, missing that human interaction and, um, you see the alcohol sales and where they are spiking. Um, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that anxiety and depression and alcohol abuse, um, is, is our real topics, you know, over the last, um, few months in this country. So hopefully mm-hmm. a lot of the things that, that we're talking about, um, you know, resonate and, and make a difference. And I, and I think, you know, when I was, I looked at your Instagram again last night and on your post, you said something and I'm going to share it here and, and, and quote you. Um, but you said, if you need help, get help. It doesn't mean you're weak. It just means you're strong enough to get better. And I think that, uh, 
you know, I think that really sums up so much and is such great advice for people who are listening to this that um, might be uh, going down a similar path to to where you were a year ago. Yeah, I think that not I think not doing anything is is the easier road, um, but obviously it doesn't get you anywhere. It'll it'll only get you going in the in the wrong direction. Um, and so the yeah, definitely the turning the turning point for me was just really finally admitting to myself that all right, I I I don't have this, you know, I can't do this, I can't do this on my own. And then it was like, okay, are you gonna, are you gonna stay in this, or are you gonna do something about it? And uh, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm very thankful that I chose to do something about it. Well, Chris, I can't thank you enough um, for coming on the Stripe Show podcast. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of yours. I uh, congratulate you on, um, you know, where you are right now, and and all the things, all the steps that you're taking, and. Um, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best of luck this year as you uh, as you get back out there um, in a week's time at the Rocket Mortgage Classic in um, in Detroit. Right. That's where it's at. The, the yep. PGA yep. Tour. Yep. They rolled through Detroit there, um, which was a good golf course last year. And uh, it's just fun to this is fun to see the PGA Tour back at it and, and rolling again and watching the best players in the world. Thanks, Travis. Yeah, we're all excited to be back out playing hope uh, hope people at home are enjoying watching on tv absolutely thanks again chris i really appreciate the time sure thing